This morning's sermon comes from Galatians 1, 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Two weekends ago, our nation was stunned by the back-to-back mass shootings in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. And had it probably been just one, it may not have hit so hard. As a nation, we've almost become accustomed to regular mass shootings, schools, churches, events. But this one two weekends ago was back-to-back, and it, and it shook the nation, and it sent the politicians and the pundits, you know, scrambling to the microphones and uh, giving opinions on what the problem really is, and therefore what the solution is. Uh, and if you've read since that, you know, social media posts, talk shows, newscasts, uh, newspapers, if, if you've followed, you'll see that there is a myriad of diagnoses out there and of solutions. What's the problem and how does it get fixed? Ranging from gun control uh, to mental health uh, to race. All of these being issues. And, And for those that say it's a gun control issue, there's a new law that has to be made. For those that say it's mental health, there's a there's a better medical treatment, psychologists, psychiatrists. For those that say it's race, there's a, uh, you know, there's, there's protest and awareness that need to be made, right? There's a solution to all of it. I was reading a, an article <clears throat> this past week out of the LA Times, and it was an opinion article. Uh, and, and the writer made note that two weekends ago, the same time that the mass shootings happened, it, the highest grossing movie of that weekend was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's a Quentin Tarantino movie that ends in brutal violence. And this is what the writer said. When it comes to movies, art follows life. And a violent nation that turns to depictions of violence for entertainment is in dire need of a psychiatrist. After you've listened to all of the opinions you arrive at the conclusion that we are stuck and no one knows how to get out. Think about it. When a a company or organization has some sort of uh, corruption, maybe financial corruption that gets into the the company, or if there's a sex scandal, whatever it may be, what, what typically do companies or organizations do when it gets to a level of of Publicity. They'll hire an independent firm, right? They'll hire some independent company to come in, diagnose the problem, and offer a solution. You say, well, at least that's how the world works. At least the church is kind of separated from that. Not the case. I don't have time to run through the scandals that have rocked the church in the past couple years. But I will say, I I heard from a, a director of a large missions agency recently a missions agency that is taking the gospel around the world, sending missionaries out all over the place, that recently 
hired an independent company to come in and investigate what were a mounting number of reports of mistreatment of women in this mission agency. Now, why do we, why do we hire someone from the outside? Because there's an understanding that if we try to fix the, the solution from within, it leads to greater corruption, greater manipulation, greater cover-up. So we go outside. Why do we seek help from outside to address problems within in this situation? It's because there's, a, there's a, at least a deep awareness that, that we've got a problem that needs fixing and the internal solutions aren't sufficient. But as a nation, as we face these mass shootings, as we face the violence, we continue to turn inward, right, to, to, to gun control, mental health, racial issues. We, we continue to turn inward to a system that is broken to try to fix it. And we do the same thing as individuals, right? You're aware of your heart. You're aware of your thoughts, your motives, your behaviors not being quite right. And yet a lot of times, when we're faced with our brokenness and our sin, we turn inward. We turn to self-help techniques to try to fix it. The problem is that that doesn't fix it because you're trying to, to, to fix it from within something that's already broken. The book of Galatians is a proclamation that the answer to our problems the answer to our nation's problems do not come from within. They come from the outside, and it's called the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. It's a solution from the outside. And before Paul gets in verse 6 to describing the problem in this church in Galatia, which was a distortion of the gospel, he spends the first five verses being real clear about what the gospel is because that is the solution to our individual heart problems and to our nation's problems. It's a solution from the outside, and it's the gospel. So we're going to define it, and we're going to look at the effects of it and the results of it. So first, the definition of the gospel. Paul defines the gospel by rooting it in two historical events, the death and the resurrection of Christ. The death of Christ is described in verse 4. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Now, two incredibly important truths come out of that short phrase in verse 4. The first is this, as it relates to Christ's death, that Christ's death was a willingness on his part. He willingly went to the cross. He gave himself. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. In fact, in John 18, John 10, 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus laid down his life of his own accord. Now, why is this important? Well, if you're married, I want you to imagine that your husband comes home with a dozen roses with a kind of sour, dour look on his face. And he says to you, my coworker told me that if I was gonna be a good husband, that I needed to buy a dozen roses for you. So I left the office early. I missed an incredible opportunity with my boss to go by the store and buy you your roses. 
I hope you're happy. Now, I'm not even going to ask how that would go over. Jesus Christ did not go begrudgingly to the cross. In fact, Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so we could say that you are so bad that he had to die for you. Yes, but you are so loved that he was glad to die for you. He was glad to go to the cross, as painful as it is, and it was. So the death of Christ, first, his willingness to go. Second truth that flows out of verse four is, is Christ, the purpose of Christ going to the cross. Not only his willingness, but the purpose of Christ going to the cross. It says that he gave himself, what, for our sins. That word for means substitution. It means in the place of, that Christ's death was a substitution. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to provide a superior, ultimate example of what it means to live sacrificially. He didn't die on the cross to show you how to sacrifice. He died on the cross because you don't sacrifice. He died on the cross because you're sinful and you're selfish, and we all are, that his death was substitution, not example. Now, here's the question. Why, is it, why does our world, why do people generally gravitate more towards the crucifixion of Christ being an example than substitution? Here's why I think that happens. Because it feels a lot better to look at the crucifixion of Christ as this amazing example of self-sacrifice than it does to look at the crucifixion of Christ as a horrific picture of what your sin deserves. Jesus' death on the cross was substitution. When he died on the cross, he was cut off from his Father. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit that he lived with for eternity, he was cut off. That's the, that's the consequence of sin, eternally being cut off and Jesus was cut off so that you wouldn't be cut off. That's the love of Christ. And so when you look at the cross and you see Jesus' death and the horrific nature of it, and you see that that is a horrific picture of what your personal sin, yes, the sin of the world, but your personal sin deserves, it actually will point you to a deep, deep love of a Savior that your heart's longing for. So the gospel is rooted in the historical event of Jesus' death. It's also rooted in the historical event of Jesus' resurrection. Look what Paul says in verse one. Through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, why does Paul start with the resurrection? before he gets to the death. And typically we talk about death and then resurrection. Well, because the first time that Paul met Jesus was on the Damascus Road, Acts chapter nine. He met the resurrected Christ. That was his first encounter with Christ. It was on the Damascus Road. You know, before 
Paul's conversion. He knew about Jesus' death. I mean, Jesus' death, crucifixion was public. It was historical fact. He knew about it, but to Paul, it meant nothing because to Paul, Jesus' death was just another self-proclaimed Messiah, savior figure that would gather a following and then die a martyr's death. So for Paul, it was just, he's just one of, of many through the years that had done that. But when Paul met Jesus on that Damascus road, when Jesus opened his eyes and he saw Christ alive, it changed everything. Paul suddenly began to preach the gospel and to suffer. He was willing to do everything to proclaim the gospel at all costs. Why? Because Jesus was alive and it changed everything. You know, we live in a world where, and you hear this often, where somebody uh, commits to living their life in honor of someone who's died, who died and lived an exemplary life, right? I'm gonna live my life in honor of this person that died because they were so honorable and they lived their life exemplary. The message of the gospel is not about a man, Jesus Christ, who lived an exemplary life that you should model your life after. That's just not the gospel. The gospel is the message of a man, a God man, fully God, fully man, who died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, and is ushering in a new world. And what's interesting in Paul's description of the gospel here is that the facts of the gospel that he lays out does not contain a single word about what you do. In his description of the gospel here, there is not a single word about what you do. And that's because the gospel is not good advice. It's not good advice. It's not good moral teaching. The gospel is a historical fact, announcement of historical events, namely the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what he has done for us. Now, that being said, while the gospel, the definition of the gospel does not contain a single word about what you do, it has drastic effects on how you live your life, for sure. There are massive implications to this historical event that involves your life when we talk about effects of the gospel, but don't get those mixed up. The gospel is a historical set of events. There are effects that come out of the gospel. What are they? What are the effects? Look at verse four. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, here it is, here's the effect of the gospel. To deliver us, from the present evil age. Now, what's the present evil age? That is the totality of human life dominated by sin and opposed to God. The present evil age is the totality of human life dominated by sin and opposed to God. So the present evil age includes the mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton. Present evil age includes pornography, sex trafficking. It includes child abuse, domestic abuse. It includes addiction. It includes everything you see on the six o'clock news. And the present evil age includes your gossip about a friend that may not physically kill that person, but emotionally destroys them. The present evil age includes your harsh treatment of an employee or a team team member. It may not get you put in prison or in jail, 
But the motive for treating them harshly is the same abuse motive, which is to use and abuse for personal gain. Present evil age includes your anger, which left unchecked eventually leads to murder. It includes lust, which left unchecked eventually leads to adultery and all kinds of sexual sin. Right? The, the present evil age is the totality of human life dominated by sin and opposed to God. And with that definition, notice what Paul says on the effect of the gospel. He says the effect is to rescue and deliver you out of the present evil age. The effect of the gospel is not to teach you how to be good in an evil world. Another way to say it is the gospel is about rescue and deliverance, not moral improvement. Now, as we'll see, of course it leads to life transformation. But the primary effect is deliverance and rescue. Because the reality is we are stuck under the domination of sin in this present evil age. We're stuck and we can't get out. You remember, it was last summer, uh, that Thai soccer team, when they uh, got caught in that cave, they were hiking and the monsoons came, water rose, they got stuck in the cave. Right? There was no amount of teaching there was no amount of training. There was no amount of sheer willpower on the part of those boys and their coach that could have gotten them out of that cave. They were absolutely helpless and absolutely in need of rescue from the outside. And what's interesting is when they finally figured it out a couple weeks later and they started to rescue them and they were figuring out how do we put a mask on them? They had to bring them underwater with scuba divers and and they thought, well, if they have the mask on them, they might panic and tear it off. So you know what they did? They sedated them to the point that all they could do is breathe. I mean, they, they played no part in that rescue. The rescue came from the outside. Now, let me go back to what I opened with. The mess our country finds itself in. The mass shootings, the violence. All the proposed solutions around gun control, mental health, racial issues are like going to those boys and their coach in the cave and saying, if you will just do this, you can get out. Now, that being said, before y'all get a little bit nervous, right? You, you can, you, conversations about gun control, conversations about mental health, conversations about race, that's fine. But what I'm saying is, is that a new law or better psychology or better psychiatry or more awareness through social media or protests is not going to solve the problem because those are solutions from within. The only answer is a solution and a rescue from the outside which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, this historical event of his death and his resurrection. It's the same reason that an answer personally to your addiction problems or your anxiety problems or your anger problems is not some sort of self-help technique because that's a solution from within. 
Only the gospel from the outside can bring rescue. Let me try to illustrate this another way to drive it home. If we put a beautiful grand piano on this stage that was out of tune, it wouldn't matter who we put behind this piano playing it, it would produce awful music. You could bring Mozart back from the dead and stick him on the piano. If it's out of tune, it is not going to produce good music. Right? The present evil age that we are born into this world a part of says that we are, our hearts are out of tune. Dominated by sin, opposed to God, completely out of tune. And so that's why all of these internal solutions are like putting an accomplished pianist on a piano that is out of tune. It is not going to produce good music until that piano gets tuned. The same is true of us, that our lives, this nation, our world, will not produce good music until our hearts are retuned. And we don't retune them. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And it says death and resurrection. It's the gospel that comes in by the Holy Spirit and does a transformation. It retunes. Jesus' death and resurrection was the inbreaking of the age to come into this present evil age. So that what we live in is a time where the age to come, the kingdom of God, and the present evil age are overlapping. That when Jesus died and rose from the dead, the age to come broke into our world, the kingdom of God. And so when you attach yourself to Jesus by faith, by trusting what he has done for you to rescue you, he transfers you into the age to come, the kingdom of God. And so you're not rescued or delivered out of the material world, but you're delivered from the evil that dominates this world so that you exist in the kingdom of God that is overlapped with this present evil age. Paul describes it this way in Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So the gospel is a set of facts, historical facts about Jesus' death and resurrection that delivers us from the present evil age and transfers us into the kingdom of God. Now, what's the results of the gospel? We've defined it. We've looked at the effect of it to deliver us. What's the result? Well, look at verse 3. In verse three, Paul uses a phrase that he's gonna use throughout all of his letters in the New Testament. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Now first, let's, let's define grace. What is it? What is grace? Grace is the favor that God has shown to undeserving sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Undeserving favor. That word for grace in the Greek, which is the original language that the New Testament is written in, is the same root word as gift. So Paul is delivering 
the gift of grace to these Galatians because he has already received this gift of grace. And he says it later in verse 15 in chapter one, that he was called by grace. Now, what does that mean? Well, look at verse one, how Paul introduces himself. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. The word apostle means one who is sent. It, it means one who is commissioned by Christ. And Paul's saying, I was commissioned directly by Jesus, not by another person, not even by a person through Christ, that person through, or Christ through that person. I was commissioned directly by Christ. And then listen to how Paul describes this commissioning, this calling in 1 Corinthians 15, verses eight to 10. This is right after Paul describes the set of facts about the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection. Listen to what he says. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Prior to Paul's conversion, he, would, he was advancing. He was on the fast track. He was on the corporate ladder in Judaism. Through human effort, through performance, high-level performance. In fact, in Philippians 3, he describes uh, his, his fast track. He describes the human effort, the performance that had him as the cream of the crop, valedictorian of the class. Through human effort, Paul had actually attained to a certain degree of success in Judaism. But then he meets Jesus Christ. And after meeting Christ, he found a worth that was not tied to human effort or performance. Paul found a worth that was not tied to human effort, not tied to performance. In fact, in Philippians 3, after describing all the accolades he had mounted up, all the trophies on his shelf, he says, after meeting Christ, all of that became like rubbish compared to, listen, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and being known by him. The surpassing worth. You know, I, I would imagine a number of you would say that I understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. I understand I can't earn my way to God. I understand that Jesus was good and perfect for me and then died for my sin. I, I understand I can't earn my salvation, but I guarantee, and I would say this of every person in this room to some degree, that while you don't believe that you can obtain salvation by your performance, that you're seeking to obtain your worth by performance. Your career, your name in the company, your title on your business card, seeking worth through that, just like Paul when he was in Judaism, or, or seeking worth as a mother by how well, you keep it together when the train's coming off the tracks and you pray that I got it all together. 
because your worth is tied to your performance as a mother or your grades in school. That if I don't get A's, I don't know who I am, right? Or whatever it may be, or, or your relationship, your dating relationship that you bounce from person to person because you're trying to establish your worth as a man or a woman. Grace is God's favor shown to undeserving sinners. And that favor is the righteousness of Christ that is gifted to you upon faith. That favor is the the worth of knowing Christ and being known by him. It's a worth that is received, not earned. It is a human worth and dignity that is received and not earned. The gospel of Jesus Christ delivers you. It frees you from trying to make a name for yourself. It frees you from trying to perform to get the worth that you want. You're given a name. You're given worth through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this results in peace. So the second word, Paul, grace to you and peace. Peace is the result of grace. That when grace gets hold of your heart, you're free from the rat race. You're free from the hamster wheel. You're free from having to make a name for yourself because you receive the name as a free gift. You receive that worth from Christ. The headline in the Chicago Tribune was striking. Here was the title of the article, Living a Life Unknown. And then here was the subtitle. Dozens of John Jane Doe's turn up yearly at Illinois police stations and hospitals. Most are identified. These five weren't. And it goes on to describe these five people that no matter the research they did with social services, the police, they could not identify who these people were. Couldn't identify them. And the article went on to say, uh, once in a while, they'll discover an identity. And that was the case with one of these five. In the case of a man by the name, they had given him the name Carlos. He had been a ward of the state since 1998. And the article described him this way. He doesn't speak, likely had a stroke that caused brain damage. He uses a wheelchair and wears a medical helmet to prevent injuries. His only reaction to people is a wide smile and a giddy giggle. Then on November 29th, 2011, the caretakers at the facility where where Carlos was, they discovered his identity. And that that day was his 53rd birthday. Listen to what the article said. That day, a caretaker went to Carlos and uttered the name Crispin Moreno. That usually giggly man fell silent after hearing his real name for the first time in at least 13 years. Then tears ran down his cheek. You are known by Jesus Christ and you are known by sheer grace. And because you're known by Jesus Christ, you no longer 
have to try to make a name for yourself through whatever means you would try to do that. That grace and peace is yours in Christ and you can rest in being known by Jesus whose death and resurrection has delivered you from this present evil age and transferred you into the kingdom of God that is here now and that is coming in full. Let's pray. Father, the gospel of grace is so freeing. And yet we confess over and over, even after having received it, that we continue to try to establish our worth by our performance and by our effort. And we admit and we confess that it is a rat race and that there's no peace in our lives. Father, I pray that maybe some here who have never trusted Christ, who maybe for the first time are hearing this sweet message of grace that your Holy Spirit would draw them to trust Christ for the first time, to be delivered from this present evil age and transferred into the kingdom of your beloved Son. For those here that have received the gospel years and years ago, decades ago, find themselves back on the hamster wheel of, of trying to establish worth by performance and effort, would you set them free and remind them of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and the surpassing worth of being known by him? Father, as we close in worship, would we sing of the deep, deep love that you have for us displayed in the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.